Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Sometimes we rush things a little bit, and I can tell you for a surety that God's not in a rush. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to say, first of all, uh, this morning, um, happy Father's Day to all of our dads, our fathers, our grandfathers, our spiritual fathers. Man, we appreciate you. So happy Father's Day. Um, we we uh, want to honor you today and tell you that we love you and we appreciate you and all that you do and your, your uh, uh, impact in our lives. Uh, if it was not for you, we could not be here. Amen. And so we're glad for you today. Amen. You know, when I think about Father's Day, um, I have... I have very fond memories of my dad. Um, I know not everyone can, not everyone does, but we have a father in heaven, amen, that is faithful to us. And so today, you know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about Father's Day and I was thinking about uh, uh, that we take time, you know, Mother's Day and Father's Day and we take the time to to honor um, our fathers and our mothers and rightfully so. But today, I want to take time to honor God. Amen. Because he is, he is worth it. And he is worthy of it. And he is so good to us. And even if our relationship with our earthly father has been challenged, um, we can have a wonderful relationship with our father in heaven. You know, I'm fortunate. I grew up in a home that was a Christian home. I grew up in a home where I had very, very loving parents, very supportive uh, parents that cared about me, loved me, um, and were good for me. But uh, I could tell you this, even with all of that, what I needed more than anything was a relationship with my heavenly father. And, you know, there, there's, there's something about this idea of relationship that really, really has gripped me over the last several years. In fact, one of, the, one of the statements that I have made repeatedly throughout the last several years, and I probably will continue to make it, I'm going to make today too, because it's kind of a mantra, and that's this, is everything, everything, underline if you're taking notes, everything, in our Christian life and our service flows out of our relationship with God. That's something that I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I have it down, I'm not saying that I've perfected it. I'm not saying that, that uh, I am the be-all, end-all example of it. I am saying that that thought has gripped me in such a way so significantly that it is changing my life. Yes. It is, is revolutionizing everything because I'm, being, I'm beginning to see how important our relationship with God is. And when you think about that, when you, when you, when you just stop, you, you probably ask the question, what does that really mean? What does that really mean for me? Well, it means this, your relationship with God is the most important thing about you. Amen. What we need in life more than anything else in life is a relationship with the Father. Amen. Are you hearing me? It's the only thing that truly makes a difference. There's a lot of things in life that will make a difference temporarily. It can move us temporarily. 
But a relationship with the Father is the only thing that can permanently change who we are Amen. and make us better. Amen. See, all that we need this morning is found in our relationship with God. Listen, this is why Jesus came into the world. We know that he came into the world for many things. We know he came to seek and save them that were lost. We know he came to extend and, and reveal the kingdom of God. We know that he came to overcome evil and the evil one. But one of the most significant things that Jesus did was he came to reveal the Father. God as a father, when Jesus came into the earth, was a fairly foreign concept. They understood God as being Elohim. They understood him as El Shaddai. They understood him as high and lifted up the mighty one. He, they understood him as magnific magnificent and glorious and wondrous and supernatural. But they did not understand him as father. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says things like this. When you pray, pray in this manner, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says things like this. He says, I do not do anything other than what I see my father do. And I say nothing other than what I hear my father say. He says, so when you see me and when you hear me, you've heard and you've seen the father. He came to reveal the Father, what He was like and who He was. He, he came to reveal Father that we could know Him. He revealed Him in such a way as that we could have a relationship with Him. Can you say amen? See, too often in Christianity, we are quick to settle for information about God rather than developing an intimacy with our Father. Amen. Amen. There, are very, there are extremely sincere people in this world that spend hours, hours and hours gathering information about him, learning more and more about him, but they never really experience him. They never really walk in him. They never really talk with him. They never really share life with him. And I believe at the heart of our father in heaven, at the very core, the very center of all that he does is he does what he does so that we can know him, not just know about him. Can you say amen? amen. See, there is an immense difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone personally. Can you say amen? Paul put it this way. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And he's not talking about that he just possesses a lot of info. He's talking about he's walking in a living, vital relationship with Jesus, with the Father. Can you say amen? And he says, everything else in my life in comparison is rubbish. It's, it's no good. It's, it's meaningless. It, it has no value compared to knowing him, being intimate with him. In, our, in contemporary Christianity, it's, it's so very easy to get stuck in believing that because 
We acknowledge God because we give mental assent to his presence, because we go to church or, or because we listen to worship music or because our generosity is enough to, to throw in occasional offering in the plate that somehow we have a personal intimate relationship with God. We, we buy into that. But let me tell you something. It's not so. Can you say amen? amen. It's just not so. Listen to how David describes his relationship with the Father. We, we kind of talked about it last week in the midst of my, my, my moment. I, I, we, we did, I think, I, I don't know, I have to look at the tape. I think I got this verse out, I'm not sure. But if you were in the 830 service, we did talk about it. In Psalms 91.1, he says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm telling you, that verse of scripture in the past has set me free. He set me free. Why? Because this is such a wonderful picture of relationship that we all can have and we can all enjoy in God. But the problem is, is this kind of stuff, this, this kind of preaching can get a little ethereal. It can get hard to understand and it can be even, even harder to apply. I just, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I sit in messages and listen to preachers preach. Sometimes I even come up with things and I, I think in my mind, that is such a, a great thought. But what does it mean for everyday life? How do I live that out? How, how, I, I, I like to say, how do I live that at Safeway? Right. Right. He said, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, Safeway is a place I go to, do, you know, to buy groceries. I, I get my groceries and I go. I'm, I'm like a hunter. I, 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 I go, when I go fishing, I go to the fish department. When I, when I need meat, I go to the meat section and boom, got it. I'm gone. I'm, I'm the, right. you know, that's it. And, and so how do I live that out in that place? How, how do I make God... Elohim, the one that is high and lifted up, the, the El Shaddai. How do I make him real in my life at Safeway? How do I do that? How do I walk that out? And sometimes in, serv- in sermons like this, it can be hard to understand and really hard to apply. So how do I take, in, in a very practical way, how do I dwell in the secret place? And quite honestly, where is the secret place? How do I abide under the shadow of the Almighty? Amen. Amen. That's got to become more than just a really nice poetic statement. That needs to be about my everyday life. Let it be said by people and angels, and particularly God, He dwells in the secret place. He abides under the shadow of the Almighty. See, I want that. I want that. I, I long for that. My heart is hungry for that. As a deer pants after the water brook, so I thirst after you, David writes. He says, I am like a dry and parched land. I'm thirsty. I'm, I'm hungry for you. There's nothing that satisfies that thirst except him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I think to really appreciate the truth in this verse of scripture for our daily lives, we really have to understand what it means to dwell and what it means to abide. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, the the idea of dwelling in some place 
is the idea of making ourselves at home. That's why we call our homes a dwelling. We dwell there. We live there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Have you ever gone over to somebody's house and they have a really nice house? They have nice furnishings. It's, it's, you know, comfortably laid out. It's, it's a pretty place, but you don't really feel comfortable. I mean, you sit in the room and you can acknowledge, you can say, oh, this is a comfortable chair. And, you know, that feels okay, but something just is missing. It's, it's not like being home. I mean, can you, have you ever gone traveling before and you've been, been on the road a little while, maybe a couple weeks, and, and you've been in nice places, you've, you've stayed in nice hotels and they've been comfortable, but when you get home... And you lay down in your own bed and you, you're walking through your own kitchen in your own front room. And, you know, you're, you're at home. There's something different there. There's, there's a comfort there. See, that's the idea of dwelling. See, the idea of dwelling is growing comfortable. It's familiar, becoming a part of. It It really is the essence of security. And this is what God is saying. He says, those that dwell in the secret place, they have found home. They found that place where they're safe and secure, where they're familiar, they, they're comfortable. They, they can, so to speak, let their hair down. Right. It's that place where... You know, you don't mind having your shirt off if you're a guy. (laughs) I ain't going there, Mike. You just quit looking at me. I ain't doing it. Mike's looking at me. Do it. I ain't doing it. You just, I'm not home. (laughs) I'm just tearing my shirt off. See, no. Boy, that's a good way to mess up a sermon right there. Trust me. It's being comfortable. It's being in that place where you feel at home. And and the psalmist tells us to dwell in the secret place. He's he's telling us to make ourselves at home in relationship. See, the secret place is less about a physical place and more about a reality of our connection with God. Are you hearing me? So you can be in the secret place at Safeway, at Walmart, at church out in the park. You could be in the secret place because you're home in relationship with God. You've grown comfortable. There's a familiarity. I'm not talking about that there's a disrespect. I'm not talking about there's a dishonor, but Father God becomes dad or, or, or as Paul says, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's a, it's a term of intimacy that, that is shared between two people that are very close and we're secure in him. So I want you to think about this for a moment. To dwell means to be at home. It means to be a part of it. It means to be safe. And what he's really describing is he's describing this sense of mutual dependency. There's a symbiotic relationship. I want to say something to you that's going to sound a little shocking. You know, a lot of people says God needs nothing. He needs you. He said, well, what do you mean by that? That doesn't mean that God is incomplete without you. That doesn't mean that God somehow to be successful or to go forward or to be God needs you. But somewhere in the, the times of eon past, he, he made a decision, I need children. 
He made a decision that says, I want a family. And so he created you and I. And when he created you and I, he breathed into us a part of himself. And we became a living soul. And so now there is a connection that God not only wants, he needs. He he longs for it. He wants to be connected. There's something about him that wants us to be a part. So he he has, by decision, allowed himself to come into a place of dependency. He's allowed himself to say, I need you. And then there's this sense of active partnership, active partnership. That means we're all participating. We're all actively working at the the goal of the home and there's shared responsibility with God in relationship. It mean, that means that it, we're not just along for the ride. We're, you know, we don't treat God like a flop house. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about oftentimes that's what we accuse teenagers of. With, you know, teenagers, as they grow, they're getting a sense of independence. They're getting a sense of that they're going to want to break out. And so sometimes what happens is during those difficult teenage years, they, they think less and less of your home. And they start thinking more and more of what their home will be. And in that transition, they can tend to treat your house and your home as if it's just a place to go to sleep. They no longer want to actively participate. They no longer want to, they, they, they no longer want to be responsible. I remember when my boys were growing up, they hated doing dishes hated it and they got it from me because I detest I I told Kathy if we were rich enough we would have no dishes we would buy paper plates paper cups and plastic forks spoons and knives just we throw them all away I hate it I hate dishes so I can't condemn my boys except to say that they hate dishes too but when you were in my house part of the reason I had you is because I hated dishes and you're gonna do them Now, the thing that is so remarkable to Kathy and I that we love, we love this. Thank you, Jesus. Their wives hate dishes. So guess who does the dishes? My boys do the dishes at their house. You say, why? Because why? They figured out that their home is not a flop house. They figured out their home. You have to actively participate. You have to be mutually dependent. And you have to be responsible. That's how you make a home a home. That's how you walk and dwell in God. We're doing this together. Can you say amen to that? Well, then the psalmist, he, he goes a little further. And he takes this into a deeper place. And he says, I want you to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And see, this word abide is a Hebrew word that literally means it's got a a stubborn edge or a resolve. It's literally to come under the influence of something and then to aggressively hold your ground. It's to stake your claim and defend it. When the psalmist tells us to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, he's telling us to say, you know what? I am going to aggressively put myself under the providence of God, under his influence, that we are influenced by him. 
in this life and in this time and generation because of technology, there are so many things that potentially can influence our lives. And if we're not careful, unwittingly, we can be influenced by things that are unhealthy. And so we have to make a decision that says, you know what, I'm going to place myself under him. I'm going to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When I was working concrete back in the day with construction, one of the things in the Arizona sun is when a cloud rolls over and it kind of brings a shadow, you aggressively hang on. You, you, you become a shade hog. Because it doesn't take long before you understand when you're under the influence of the sun, S-U-N, it gets really tiring. And you pray, please, Lord, cause a cloud to come over us. We need that same attitude. We need to hunger for shade, the shade of the Father, his influence, like we do when we're in the hot sun. But the million-dollar question is how do we abide? How do we dwell? What does this really, really look like? Because the difficult thing here. In Psalm 91 is it gives us a physical description of a spiritual condition. And oftentimes it's very hard to get these principles in daily life. But I believe the Bible has an answer for us. And it's found in our text. In John chapter 15. I want you to listen to us. 11 verses of scripture. Listen. The Bible says, I am the true vine. Jesus speaking. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he bears, that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The reason I chose this portion of Scripture is because it's rich with understanding of what it means to abide, to be in relationship. In, their, in this text, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he brings home the importance of abiding. You need to understand that when Jesus is speaking this to his disciples, he's, he's coming close to his crucifixion. He's, he's getting close to the point when he's going to be leaving. And so these are some of his final words. He's, he's coming in and he uses this living illustration of the vine of how we are to abide in him. And he says it's imperative that you understand the importance of abiding in Christ. Because, see, listen, it is not enough to make a profession, it's not enough to make a profession of faith without followed by the practice of faith. 
Are you hearing me? See, there is a whole movement today that is going through the land that's saying, hey, it's good enough. As long as you acknowledge God. Just so, and even if you don't acknowledge God, God's love's big enough that it's going to cover you. Let me tell you something. There is some danger in that. There's a trap in that. And the reason that there's a trap in that is because God did give us a will. And he says, I want you to, I want you to choose me. I've chosen you. Now you choose me. It's a reciprocal. It's, it's back and forth. There is, a, there is a, a relationship. Relationship is never one-sided. Can you say amen? And he says to us, it's not enough to claim faith and not live it. Too often, what we are in position never gets translated into behavior. Listen to what I'm saying. You right now, listen, if you are saved in this place, if you have made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, then you are right now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are the bride of Christ. You are children of God. You are princes and kings and priests before him. You right now have been made complete in him. You, your spirit right now is finished. You are in position. You say, what is my position? The Bible says that you right now are seated with him. In heavenly places, right now. You occupy two places in time and space, right now. That is your position. But oftentimes, oftentimes what happens is what we are in position never gets translated into behavior because of the fact that we unplug from the vine. We detach from the vine. We're not plugged in. And so what we are, does not come, become what we can be. Right. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. So we don't live it out. We don't work it out. We don't, we don't walk out. And so what happens is we make choices. Let me tell you something. If you make a choice to sin, it is strictly your choice. You can't say the devil made me do it because he didn't. He does not have the power to make you do anything. He cannot make you do it. Well, it's my fallen nature. Nope, it's dead. You can't say it. I could prove it biblically. There's been years where we thought, no, that ugly thing is working. No, it ain't. It's dead. You're just choosing to operate it by it. I'll show you biblically. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, it says when you got baptized, you died. You became, you, you've put yourself in the position of being dead in Christ. Come on. Come on. You're dead to sin. And then the Bible says this, likewise, reckon yourself. Consider yourself dead to sin. And then he says, you get to choose where you're going to yield your members. Are you going to yield them to righteousness or are you going to yield them to unrighteousness? And whoever you yield yourself to, you'll be a slave to. It is not because of a pre-programmed nature. That nature was taken care of the moment you asked Christ to come into your life. Jesus died, rose again, and he presented his blood before God once and for all. And it was finished. 
And you say, what does this mean? It means now you get some choices. You now get to say, I'm going to walk in Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? That's the point of this sermon. You walk in him. You abide in him. And so the question then becomes, are we connected? Am I connected? Am I truly abiding in the vine? Many people believe they're connected just because they want to be. They say, I, I, I want to be connected. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you want to be. But are you? Are you in reality? Well, Jesus in our, in our text gives us a self-determining a test. He tells us how we can figure it out. He tells us we can know if we're abiding in the vine, if we're connected. Is there fruit? Is there fruit? Now, there is lots of controversy about what this fruit was that Jesus was referring to in this portion of Scripture. But for our purposes today, the fruit that he's talking about, in my mind, is the visible evidence of an invisible process. It's revealing what is at the nature of the branch. Okay. Do you understand the branch has no, outside of the vine, it has no nature of its own. <laughs> outside of the vine, the branch is dead. Is there change in your life? Is there growth? Is there freedom? Is there a freshness? Is there evidence of being plugged into the vine? The great news about being plugged into the vine, if you are dwelling or if you are abiding in the vine, then you can't help but produce fruit. Matthew chapter 7 verse 20 says, Jesus speaking, he says, so then you will know them by their fruits. You will know what the nature of the tree is by the fruit that's hanging on it. Are you hearing me? Too many professing Christians demonstrate no change or they experience stunted growth. They enjoy no freedom. They remain stagnant and stunted and they display no visible evidence of the faith they say they have. You say, why are you preaching this, Pastor? Because somewhere we have to understand relationship means something. Amen. It's not a buzzword. We're not saying it to go, hey, yeah, man, hey, cool, far out. I got a, I'm, me and Jesus, we're brothers. That don't mean nothing. What's the fruit? What's actually happening in your life? See, the point of this text is so simple. If you're engrafted, if you're connected, if you're abiding in the vine, there will be fruit. See, abiding in the vine will bring change. Amen. Amen. We take on the nature of the vine. Abiding in the vine means we'll grow. The life of the vine flows in us and feeds us and causes us to grow. Abiding in the vine sets us free because the nature of the vine overpowers anything that's in the branch. Right. Abiding in the vine, we're new, renewed every day. It's this invisible spiritual process that reveals itself in tangible, visible fruit. It's the secret of life in Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
So let's get this down to some practical nuts and bolts. How about doing that? Safeway. This, we're, we're going to Safeway today. It's a field trip, and we're going to all abide in Christ. <laughs> Not really, but if you want to, you can. I'm going to make a statement. I want you to listen to it. We abide in him through consistent surrender to him in obedience by faith. I'll say it again. We abide in him through consistent surrender to him in obedience by faith. So what does that mean? Well, consistent because it's an ongoing process of decision making. Listen to what I'm saying. Probably the most overlooked principle in all of Christianity is consistency. The ability to remain steady, unwavering, and constant. So many people are in one minute, out in the next, up, down, back, forth, on, off, all over the place. Why? Because of circumstances. If the circumstances are favorable and good, Christianity is favorable and good. If the circumstances are rough and difficult, we bail. Come on. Amen. The reason for all of our inconsistency is because we're easily convinced that there is something more productive elsewhere. We buy into the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. And as a result, we unplug, we disconnect, we stop abiding. And some of this stuff can happen in the smallest thing. Our tendency is to be influenced by a lot of things. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, they're not bad, they're not inherently evil, but when they assert themselves over our lives in the place of God, they've just became an idol. They just became an idol. And all of a sudden, we begin to become influenced by something other than God. We're plugging into something else and we quickly fade. And we find out that it's not what we thought it was. We run to plug in only to repeat the cycle over and over again. Somewhere what we've got to do is stay consistent. And say, I am not going to be moved by my circumstances. Listen, on my worst day, I don't have to talk about my good day because that's easy. On my worst day, being engrafted in a vine... Jesus is still Lord. I am a son of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells in me, empowers me, gives me wisdom, gives me uh, uh, the ability to stand strong. He lets me see beyond the veil. He allows me to walk in the presence of God. That's on my worst day. On my worst day, I am still in his presence. When the bills aren't paid, he's still a provider. When my body is sick, he is still my healer. When I feel captive, he is still my deliverer. Why? Because my circumstances do not define who he is or who I am. My circumstances are changing. Amen. Paul wrote it this way. He says, what you see is temporary, but what you don't see is eternal. And the problem, church, is we are so immature in our walk with God that we allow every circumstance, what we can see, to move us. And it's moving us away from him rather than to him. That's why consistency 
is so important. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 12, verse 24. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What is he talking about? When you plant something, you need to leave it alone. It's the consistency of remaining in the soil. It's the consistency of being where it's supposed to be. Church, the, the, the modern Christian today is belonging to a thing called a universal church. He said, what do you mean? Oh, I'm just a part of the body. Let me tell you something. Jesus places in the body of believers as it pleases him. And there are many bodies doing many good things. Where has God placed you? Where are you plugged in? Are you biding in Christ? It is so easy to go, I'm out. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, or 15, 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Immovable. Steadfast. Always abounding. He's talking about consistency. One man put it this way. He says, the Christian walk is much like riding a bike. Either you're moving forward or you're falling off. If there's anything I've learned in my very limited experience in the gym, it is this. It is not lifting 1,000 pounds at once that makes a difference. It's lifting 10 pounds all the time, every day. See, then, then we go to the next thing. The natural and logical partner of consistency is surrender. Once we've made a decision to remain, we must surrender now Amen. to the flow of God. Amen. Not my will be done, but yours. Yes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come from heaven to earth, and your will be done. Your will be done. Amen. I want to do what you do, Lord. I want to say what you say. I want to be what you are. Amen. I want to do, I want your life to change me. I want, I want you so much to flow into me that when they look at me, they see Jesus. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. I want the life of God to flow in me. Church, so many times we come up with our better idea. And I'm telling you, our better idea is getting us in trouble. There's two questions I ask God every day. First one is, God, what do you want to say to me? And the second one is, what do you want me to do? Because you know what? I've tried it my way. I've tried to flow my way. And you know what? When I disconnect, I don't bear any fruit. I don't bear any fruit. Because I've disconnected from life. But see, the problem is, as a branch, I think I'm kind of special. Because when I'm engrafted in the vine, I get these really nice grapes hanging off me. And I go, look at me. Look at yeah. that. Look at those grapes hanging on me. Whoa. Look what I did. I didn't do anything. Right. <laughs> in verse 5 of our text, he says, without him, I can do nothing. That's a great verse to know. 
See, the very nature of abiding in Christ is unconditional surrender. What does that mean? <clears throat> what that means is to love those that are unlovely. To love my enemy. You don't know what they did to me. Probably not. You don't know what they did to Jesus. But he loved us, didn't he? Love our enemy. That's, that's the life of God flowing. Love. Not condone. Big difference between loving somebody and condoning what they do. I can love them without condoning what they do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I can love them and say, you are a valuable person. You are created in the image of God. You are the subject of God's love, and he loves you with an everlasting love. Now, what you're doing is horrible and rotten, and we need to change that. But the only way we're going to change that is if you understand the love of God. And that's what God's all about. And I need to love them. And sometimes love does mean that I need to stand for what is righteous. But standing for what is righteous never condemns. There's only one that condemn, and that's God. And that's when he becomes judge. And I can tell you right now, he is not our judge. There'll come a day when he'll be our judge, but that is not this day. There'll be a day when he will judge our fruits. He will judge our works, and he will judge what we did with Christ. There'll come a day when that happens, but that's not this day. This day, he's our father, and he's loving us, and we need to surrender to that. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, then, then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That has been preached like a baseball bat. Because we've told everybody, you better get your cross, and it's going to be horrible, and you're going to suffer for Jesus. You're going to suffer. Pick up that cross and nail yourself to it. You can't nail yourself to the cross. You say, what is picking up my cross then? It means plugging into him. He carried the cross. He carried the cross. What it means is it means that I say, you know what? I'm dying to self and I'm coming alive to you. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what the cross is, is the cross is me taking off my life, my, my desire to control and run my life. That, that thing that says, I've got to be in control of my destiny. And taking that off and saying, you know what, Jesus, when you died, I died. And when you rose again, I rose again. But I came alive in you. And the life that I now live, I live in you. You live in me. Amen. Are you hearing that? And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 through 30, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what? If you will come and connect with me, if you will carry that cross, you'll find life. You'll find it's easy. You'll find rest. You'll find peace. And you know what? If we surrender... If we consistently surrender, the natural outcome is obedience. 
It's obedience. And let me tell you, there is no higher demonstration of love to the Father than being obedient. Are you hearing me? John 15, 9 through 10 says, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What is he saying? He's saying, look at to demonstrate this love, when the love is activated, when it is flowing, it brings about an obedient lifestyle. It brings about the lifestyle that pleases him. Yes. But let me tell you something, church, that's a choice. So how do you know that? Listen, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, it says, since then, I love this. I love the words. Listen to the words. Since then, what is the then? What you did before. Since you got saved, you have been raised with Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Since this salvation, since you've plugged in, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not earthly things. It's a decision. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore. He's speaking to Christians that are saved, plugged in. Are you hearing me? He goes, therefore, because you are saved and plugged in, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have been taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Listen to what he says. He's talking to Christians. And so what is this? This is, the, this is that consistent surrender that leads to obedience that allows me to take off and keep taking off and keep pulling off that old thing to where it's defeated and completely gone. It is done spiritually. Now it needs to be done practically. That means when, when I'm sitting in traffic and I just want to flip off everybody in traffic because I've had enough. Is that too honest? I'm just trying to get real. I, 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 maybe I'm the only one that wants to do that here in Kingman. <clears throat> when you want to cuss out your neighbor because he's blowing all the weeds into your yard or all the leaves, or maybe because your neighbor's having a party at midnight and you want to go, God, I pray to make them motherless or childless or whatever. The disciples came to Jesus one day and said, should we call, you know, fire and brimstone on them? And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. You boys need to get it together. You need to plug into life. See, it's so easy to say, hey, I'm Christian. <coughs> I didn't forget where I was at. Why, why is this important? Because see, church, when we begin to do this kind of stuff, when we begin to walk this out, when we begin to, to really surrender to this, 
This is where the life of God, and let me tell you something about the life of God. It will revolutionize things that you never thought needed to be revolutionized. It will bring fruit and abundance and life and peace and joy and satisfaction. The storm can be raging, but you'll be solid. You will be able to, with Paul in the Mamertine prison at the lowest end of the prison, be able to say, I count it all joy. You'll be able to say, think on these things that are pure and lovely and of good report. You'll be able to rise up and you'll make a difference. Your family will get saved. Your home will be blessed. He said, how do you know that? Because that's his promise. The reason the promise ain't flowing is because we ain't connected. (coughs) Are you hearing me? Father's Day is all about relationship. Let's have a relationship with the Father. Let's get connected. And then finally, as I bring this to a close. Consistent surrender to him in obedience by faith. You say, well, why faith? Because it's a, it's a spiritual reality that we have to trust. And sometimes it's hard to see. There's a verse of scripture that is, I have a love-hate relationship with. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. It says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. Let me tell you something, church, that right there is the answer. If you ever wanted a simplified answer for every question you've ever come up with, right there it is. What do I do now? Trust in the Lord. What do I say? Trust in the Lord. Where do I go? Trust in the Lord. I love it because it is the answer. It's the answer every time. Not every time, but a lot of times when I say, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? He'll say, trust in me. Don't lean on your own understanding. Or sometimes it's a little bit clearer for me. He goes, John, just trust me and quit trying to figure it out. You're always trying to figure it out. You're always trying to be one step ahead. You want to know where it's coming from. You Just know it's coming because I don't fail. Amen. Know that I'm there. I'm telling you, church, this didn't. I didn't get this out of a book. I, I've hammered this truth out in the hard days of my life. When I thought I was done and over, when I thought I couldn't do it anymore, when I wanted to quit and run and just say, forget it. I went back to this and said, God, I trust you. I make a decision of my will. I say that out loud in my truck. I'll say it. Sometimes I have to yell it. I say, I choose to trust you. I'm not backing down. I'm not going to lean on my understanding. All I can see is garbage, so it's not good report. So I don't trust it. But I trust you, and I acknowledge you. In all my ways, you're directing me. And sometimes all I can see is one step in front of me. But that's okay, because I don't have to be wise in my own eyes. He is wisdom. I can trust him. I surrender to him every day. I surrender to him. And the result of my surrender, the result of plugging into him and going, okay, I'm a branch, you're the vine. All of a sudden, there's this wonderful obedience. And so when I'm at Safeway and somebody cuts in line, I can smile and go, go ahead, it's no problem. I'm a man of patience. 
when I see somebody crying. I do this often. I'll be in places and I'll see somebody going through a hard time and God will give me a, a moment where there's a word and I'll begin to pray as I'm walking down the aisle. You say, what are you doing? I'm extending the kingdom. So you don't even know those people. I don't have to. God does. Sometimes he'll tell me to go up to him and talk to him. Sometimes he'll say, you know what? Go up and ask them if they need prayer. And sometimes that's tough because I don't want to. I need prayer. Right. Where's the guy walking around looking for me? That's why I don't like that verse. Because God says, you do what I say. I got your back. <laughs> Trust me. I know right where you're at. I know what you need. And I'm with you. Oh, church. He wants, to do, he wants to revolutionize you. Surrender to him. This Father's Day, make a choice. So I'm going to consistently surrender to you in obedience by faith. I'm going to trust you. Why don't you bow your heads? Father, we're so thankful. I pray for everyone that's in this place today, God, that you'd move upon them. God, touch them and minister to them. Father, this Father's Day, I pray that as we honor you as our Father, Lord, that the fathers and the grandfathers and the spiritual fathers in this place, Father, they, 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 would, they would sense, God, that honor. Lord, who they are and what they are as a father really did come from you. And we rejoice in that. And I pray, Father, that you would connect us. Lord, as we make those decisions to abide in you, Lord, the power that will flow from the vine, the grace, the goodness from that relationship, Father, I pray cause it to flow through us. Revolutionize us, Lord. Revolutionize this church. Let it be said of this church, they have a relationship with God. Father, I glorify your name today in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place. We're going to let you go today. Our prayer team is coming. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.